Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, and excited to have Mr. Patrick Mutaglu on the phone with me here today from his office and academy in Nice, France, just fresh off the French Open here. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, excited, uh, and I know uh, we have a we have a you know tight schedule here because uh, right after this interview, you'll be on court with Serena, getting ready, I guess, for some Wimbledon action here, uh, which is of course you know the complete opposite of what you just been training there for for the French Open. But you know, let me just in, give a quick intro on yourself for folks who might not know who you are. You your nickname is the Coach, and, and that I think says it all already, which is obviously a great name, and that's. Really is, is really for your experience in coaching and, and having been involved now with some of the top players in the world for you know decades and uh, building your own academy. Of course, Serena is, I guess, the, the blue ship, um, which everyone would be familiar with, would have seen you on the sidelines sitting there over the last almost 10 years now, I think since 2012, winning almost 10 Grand Slams, to, uh, not almost, winning 10 Grand Slams together as a team. I believe there was a, a gold medal there as well, the Olympics. Uh, of course, you're also currently c coaching Stefano Tsitsipas, who just won or lost, sorry, lost the, uh, the, the final in, the, in, in France, of course. And you have one of the hottest stars in, for the future here with Coco Gauff, you know, potentially seen as the, the future Serena Williams here. And, and many other players in between where we'll touch on a little bit, you know, we'll touch on your academy in, in Nice, where you are now. And then we will finish up a bit with the UTS, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, which is a new format you've created. And as a tennis player and, and a tennis fan, extremely excited over what you're doing there. So let's jump right in there. And, uh, and and you mentioned you had some interesting stories in history of how you really got into this, and I'd love to hear that. So please take it away, Patrick. Thank you very much for that nice presentation, Marcus. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I am always happy to share uh, what I've gone through because when I was young, uh, I had a really tough life, not in terms of... Uh, uh, conditions, but uh, the way I was feeling inside mm -hmm. was very difficult. And uh, I had everything on the paper to have the worst possible life. Wow. And so that's what it's that's why it's interesting. And that explains uh, first why I created this tennis academy. And I've been doing what I've, what I've been doing now for more than 25 years. Yeah. But it also says that uh, anything can be achieved in life. Uh, it's just up to each of us to make the life we want. Correct. Because again, when I was young, it was a disaster. So just to say a few words about yeah, it. Yeah, please, share. What, what happened? Um, nothing special happened, but I was uh, I was extremely shy. I was completely unable to connect to anybody. So I was, uh, I was alone most of the time. Hmm. I was uh, scared. I was sick. I had panic attacks uh, every night. My mom... Wow. Uh, spent all my childhood uh, sitting on a chair in front of my bed uh, during the whole night because I couldn't sleep. I was completely panicking. I was seeing monsters. I was seeing uh, insects everywhere, uh, things I couldn't control. Mm. Uh, I was I was always sick, uh, and I was I was just looking at myself in the mirror every day, saying that I was so bad. Wow. Where did you uh, grow was, up? You were growing up which which uh, in, in France, I believe, right? Or which, yeah. which, what, where are you right now in this during that time? Uh, I'm from Paris, so I was oh, living right. uh, okay. 
in the suburb in the suburbs of Paris. Uh, and I have absolutely no self-confidence, com uh, again, completely unable to connect to anybody. Mm -hmm. And I was literally panicking when that, uh, with the idea that anyone would speak to me and I wouldn't know what to answer. Wow. Uh, I, I had the worst opinion about myself. That, that, that's the, the first reason why I, I was feeling that way in, in every situation. Mm -hmm. So not a great start. Uh, and all my childhood has been ex a pain, like, literally a pain. Uh, on, on every aspect. So I was also bad at school, <laughs> nice. even though I was trying, even though I was trying. I mean, at some point I stopped trying, but I was I was terrible at school. Mm. Uh, so everything was just negative and everything was a suffer, nice. uh, which was in a way all those uh, problems that I have were just feeding this idea that I was worth nothing. Right. Uh, and this lasted so many, 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 many years, um, and and I I, can, I kind of broke that uh, that negative circle, first with uh, winning the fight against my body because I was I was extremely sick. I was so sensitive that whenever whatever was happening, uh, everything was hurting me really badly. Mm. So and, and I will always say that it's it's all about how you feel. You know, it's not about what happens to you; it's about how you feel about what happened to you. Right. Yes. So I was getting sick. I was I was throwing up uh, when I, whenever I, I had stress. Um, and at 11 years old, I decided that would stop. And from that day, I never threw up again. Right. I and I, I realized that I had some power, some to my body in a way. Mm. Uh, and and then uh, beating my body with this, I could beat my body, start stopping also the, the panic attacks at night. And uh, don't ask me how I did, did it. I have no idea, but I did it. Yeah, and this is really early. That's, I was just going to ask you, you know, what is the age we're talking about here? So you really, in, you're, you're 10, 11 years old and, and all this, 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 this pain you were talking about was, you know, in your, in your teens, basically. Right. Yes, exactly. So right, from, right. from, from my birth to let's say 11, 12, uh, my life was a disaster. And at, it was more 12 years old, by the way, because my parents changed me, changed my school when I was 11. I went to a new school where I didn't know anybody and the stress was so high that I remember throwing up eight times during the night. And the, the ninth time was literally in the, the classroom when I entered, uh, which was a great start to make friends, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <imagine>. Welcome, yeah, <laughs> welcome present. Yeah. Exactly. So after that, I, I could I could beat my body, and that was a little victory. I mean, not little for me. It was a huge yeah, victory, but it was the first one. And I always say, and and all these things uh, were great life lessons for me in my coaching afterwards, because I realized that when you win a little battle, yeah. it gives you the courage to go for another one. Correct. And this, this in my coaching is very important. And I always say that we are all the product of all our experiences in life. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, I want my players to win every day. When I say win, I, it, it doesn't have necessary, uh, it doesn't have to be a winning a match because you don't have a match every day, but little victories. Right. You know, even even being able to achieve something at practice that you usually can do or and have the feeling after every single day that you've made progresses, you're better. Yeah. It's a kind of, of win. it's a kind, it's a victory in a way. It's that little one and that percent a day uh, improvement. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. So again, this was one thing. So now to understand why I, I tell you that and, and why it's linked with tennis. 
I was playing tennis all those years. So I started when I was four, mm-hmm. fell in love with tennis immediately. And from that day was playing every Saturday, every Sunday, like eight, literally eight hours staying on the court. Guys were playing, mm-hmm. they were done, they were leaving and I was staying on the court. And then the second guy was coming and then the third one, I couldn't leave the court. The right. court was the only place on the planet where I was safe. feeling confident, yeah. safe and confident. Mm. Yeah, got it. So that was my place. And uh, all I was thinking of was tennis all day long. Uh, then the federation uh, thought I was not too bad, so I, uh, they, they they gave me some some practice, extra practice every week. Uh, and for me, I would I would that would be my life. I would become a professional player, and there was no doubt about it. Mm. And then when I was uh, 15, I I asked my parents if I could go to a, a school where I could have some time to practice seriously because. I was going to a normal school and then practice in the evening, uh, late after school because I also had homework and then I couldn't go to tournaments because this school wouldn't allow me to. So I wanted to go really seriously. And that was a turning point in my life because my parents said no. They said that uh, that it was too risky and that I had to go to a regular school and then maybe one day if I finish school and I finish all my studies, I could play tennis. But I explained that's not the way it works. But <laughs> it didn't work. So I had, I had to stop tennis. Okay. And that was uh, that was the second turning point. Uh, that was not a positive one, but uh, because from one day from one day to another, my whole life got for me was destroyed because mm. all my dreams, everything I, I I could envision as my future, disappeared from one day to another, literally. So it's going to be th- then this event also was became something extremely important in my coaching in the future. And I'm going to explain that Mm, right after. But there was also a third moment. And the third moment, I was 17. So it was a bit later. Mm -hmm. I decided that this shyness uh, that was like so, so important, so so big, Mm. this uh, impossibility that I had to connect with people, I had to find I had to find a way. I went to my mom, I remember, and I said to her, Mom, what can I do? Because, you know, I I am completely unable to have normal relationship with, with people and be social. And I think I am, but I can't. So what can I do? And she said, you can see a psychologist. So I started a psychotherapy, mm-hmm. which lasted 10 years. Wow. Uh, but that uh, helped me uh, tremendously uh, go over this problem and uh, like people can't believe that I was shy before. <laughs> yes, I was going to say that <laughs> looking at everything else now. I was like, wow, I can't believe the story you're telling here. Incredible. Yeah, but this is, I, I think that's incredible life lessons. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. No, literally everything's possible. Literally Completely. everything's possible. Completely. And then I have, to, so, so what's interesting I think also is that because I had this inability to connect, I developed a great ability to read people mm. simply because I was young. I was in my classroom and I could not talk to the people, to the other, my, my potential friends. Mm. So because I could not, I developed uh, this ability because everybody needs to have social relationship. Everyone, you yeah. can, otherwise we die, yes. you know? Yes. So I was, I was sitting in the classroom and I was looking at people interacting with each other. And as I couldn't interact myself, mm. 
I was putting my trying to put myself in their shoes and trying to understand how they were feeling no. just by looking at the interaction, looking at their the physical signs they were having because you know we all have a body language. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to read also their language because all the languages are different. Even if we even if we both speak English, yeah. The words that I use have a different meaning. If you use the same words as me, Absolutely. they don't have the exact same meaning for you and for me. Yes. Yeah, so, so I learned really to read that. The, you're basically studying people already at that time, you know, in a sense. Exactly. And I didn't try to. I was just trying to survive in an environment that was hostile for me. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see that a big weakness, because it was an incredible weakness, helped me develop another strength. Hmm. Because we humans are able to adapt because that's, I mean, I think that's our number one quality, yes. adaptation. <laughs> And because, you know, I wasn't able to connect, so I developed the ability to read people. Mm. It's incredible. Mm. Uh, so I think that's very interesting. Amazing. The other thing is, as I said, so I stopped tennis when I was uh, 15, and then I put my racket on the side because I can't do anything halfway. I do it full or I don't do it. Right. I didn't know what to do in life. I had no idea. So I started to study. I studied music. I did a jazz, a jazz school in the evening and I was doing a, um, uh, an economy school, so a school for economy, learning mm -hmm. economy during the day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I was not interested to be honest in the, in the business school. Uh, I was very interested in the music school, but I realized that people, some people were geniuses and I was far from being one. So even though I loved music and I studied it, and it's really part of my life. I uh, I decided to stop because I mean I feel like it was almost disrespectful to those people to be in the classroom with them <laughs> because they were. Thing. I mean I get, uh, no no I I think I think I was good, I was good in tennis. I don't think I was good for music. Right, not right. not good enough at all. Right. So I stopped and I didn't know what to do. And uh, my father has uh, succeeded in business. He has a big business. Right. And uh, he said to me, okay, you don't know what to do in life. I mean, come, at least come learn a, a job. Right. So I said, okay. So I, I worked in his company for six years. I did everything possible, like started from the very bottom, mm -hmm. uh, which was very interesting because I really learned what is a company made of. Yeah. Go to every, one year in, in each service in a way. Mm -hmm. sure. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I was 26, he told me that I was ready for business. And uh, he said, let's, let's be a business partners. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share everything with you and we're going to become business partners. His company was huge at that time. So mm -hmm. for me, it was the easy way. But it was, it's not the way I chose because I think we have one life and we have to make it something really special and i wouldn't feel that it would be special if i would take that way right so i remember telling him exactly that i said to him first of all thank you uh thank you for the opportunity and for the trust you put in me now mm. but uh i'm lucky enough to have a passion which is tennis mm. i also feel like uh my my story with tennis is not over even though i, I will not be a player anymore Right. I'm 26 now, but uh, I really feel like I want to give the chance to, to kids that are that have the passion for this sport to achieve something big. The chance that I was not been that was not given when I was 16 or 15. Right. I want to give it to 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 players, to young players. Wow. And also, I feel, I feel like you and I don't blame him at all. And I'm going to explain why after. You didn't believe in me as a player. 
So I know how pre precious that is mm. to have someone who believes in you. So I will believe in those kids 100% and I will do everything to make them believe the life that they dream of, but they're prepared to do anything to to, to achieve that. So right. I'm going to help them. Right. That will be my, uh, my uh, mission for the next maybe 20, 30 years. Who knows? Love it. And that's what I did. Right. And the last thing I want to say, because I speak too much, as you can hear it, <laughs> the last thing I want to say that is important also, because I think it's a life lesson. I was very angry at my parents when they stopped tennis. They made right. me stop tennis. Right. I feel I felt like, wow, they don't they don't love me. They don't they don't listen to me. Right. Uh, why would they do that to me? Even though I intellectually understand that they want me to study because it's less risky. Yes. And it took me 10 years to get over it mm. and to put it in perspective. And this is what I, I understood 10 years after. I understood that this meeting I had with my parents when I was 15, that was a missed meeting in a way because it didn't lead me to where I, I wanted to be, mm. was 100% my mistake. Because you always have the chance to convince people and it's always up to you. And I did not convince my parents that I was good enough, that it was not that risky, that I had a dream and that they, they, could, they couldn't kill my dream. I, I didn't find the words. I didn't find a way to understand their, their scare at that right. time because they were also scared about my future. Of course. So, so in a way, I failed. You and it's failed. fine because right. we all failed. We all failed. Yes. But, but it's, it was unfair to blame them. And I think it was a great life lesson. And the life lesson is this one. First of all, if you don't convince people in life, your life can be completely different from what you dream. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. Second, it's all in your hands because you always have the chance to convince the people and, and again, do the things you want to do. It's yeah. all up to you. Yes. And that's, I think that's great lessons. Amazing. And this is lessons that I kept for all the rest of my life and that I'm using every day in my coaching. All the things that, that happened to me, and that's why I wanted to speak about it. Yes. All those things that happened to me, I'm using every day now in my coaching. But, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm a big believer in, in, in you know, what you just shared in terms of the life lessons. And, and a lot of times people with the most with the worst lessons, in a sense, or, or the most pain are the most successful people at the end of it, right? Because they take that pain and turn it into something positive and into something we, that's as a metaphor is exactly what you did, right? That pain you had in your use from, you know, the first, let's say, physiological and, and psychological pain. And later on, maybe the pain of your parents say no to something you really wanted, you turn it into this incredible career that you've had. So, wow, I love this. This was, I, I have to admit, I think this was the best warm-up uh, story we've ever had on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that so openly. And Marcus, you just gave me a good lesson again, because you said in less than a minute what I just said in 15. So thank you very much. <laughs> that's my job. I, I, my job is to summarize it. <laughs> but good job. Yeah, thank you. Um, now, let's get a bit into the, the career then, you know, since you then started um, at the age of 26, 27 there, where we were earlier. Um, you, so you started off with the academy. Um, so how do you start an academy? You just, what, you, did you just rent some courts? You build it or, or how do you start this? Let's go there and then we'll go into, the, of course, the players and, and some of the other stuff here. Well, I had no idea, to be honest. Right. I just knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how. Right. I was not a tennis coach. 
Uh, Not at all yeah. at the time. Um, I just was excited. And I, I think I'm, I'm deeply an, an entrepreneur. That's mm. really what I am. Right. Uh, and when I look back, I really realized that. So I just thought, okay, I want to I want to help kids uh, play tennis and go to the top of the game. How do I do that? I have no idea. Okay, let's find a coach. Right. So I went to clubs and I discussed with coaches and I, I found one that looked good to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, let's do a business together. The guy said, okay, no problem. So I said, I'll take care of the business. You take care of the courts. All right, okay. And I, re- I, I rented two courts. I went to, cl- I had no, mo- no money. Mm-hmm. So I went to, uh, I went to the cl- a club and I said, listen, I'm looking at your co- courts and during the day, I see they're empty. They're full during the evening after the yep. people are done with their job, but yep. during the day it's empty. Right. So I give you 15, it was 15 francs at that time, which mm-hmm. is a, the equivalent of let's say three euros. Right. I give you three euros for an hour. The guy right. said, what? This is nothing. I said, no, it's not nothing. It's three euros. At the moment you have nothing yeah. because it's empty. So you get three hours, uh, three euros an hour rather than zero. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you anything. The guy said, okay, then. And I started to rent those two courts. And uh, I didn't have any players. So I I like, I like wrote uh, on paper, uh, I printed uh, stuff uh, like advertising and I went on the cars and I was putting it on, on the cars in wow. the rich areas around. Uh, people were calling and I was I was doing the business side and, I, and after one year I had like 40 players. Mm-hmm. But but uh, not good players. Forty right. people who were happy to during the day have extra hours of yeah. coaching with a coach. I was I was in a way the PR of this coach. That's yeah, what I was yeah, doing. Correct. Yeah, you're the manager. <laughs> exactly. Correct. Wow. So I did this for two years, and uh, and after two years, I knew more about the job, and I thought, okay, if I really want to do what I envision, I need to be able to have good young players like poten- players who have potential because yes. those guys that i'm working with they're 30 years old and they have, exactly they're, they're just having good, some so. fun That's exactly great. and i thought for that i need a name because why would they come with me they don't know me the coach that i hired is nobody yeah he's not famous yeah but if i want to do something with players who have potential like really big potential i have to have a really good coach mm. so i looked through the coaches and i thought because i always think big Okay, who's the best coach in the world? And at that time, I thought it was Bob Brett because he had mm-hmm. the, he brought Becker to number one in, in the world, right. Ivan Isevich right. to number two in the world. It was a big, 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 big yep. name, probably yep. the biggest at the time. Right. So I thought, okay, I need Bob Brett then. Right. <laughs> How do I get Bob Brett? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, so I went to, I remember I, I went to uh, t- tennis shops and I found an Australian guy who was working in a tennis shop and Bob Brett was Australian. So okay. I said to him, Oh, do you know Bob Brett? He said, no, I don't <laughs> know Bob Brett. Okay. No problem. What I propose to you, we find, I find a ticket for you to go to Rangaros. And once you are inside the Rangaros, find a way to talk to him wow. and tell him, I want to see him. And the guy did the job and I had an appointment with Bob Brett. I remember in his hotel in, in Paris uh-huh. uh, because it was during Rangaros. Right. And I met him in the lobby. We sat down and after one hour, he shake. Remember, I, I told you earlier, I would next time I would not miss my meeting and I will be convincing. Mm-hmm. So after one hour, he shake my hand and he said, I'm with you 100 percent. Wow. Bob Brett Academy just was born okay. that day. Okay, so it was the Bob Brett Academy at the beginning. Yeah, Amazing. yeah. Six years was Bob Brett Tennis Academy. So it started like that. So 
I told him I had a I had a, a tennis center. I told him I had players. I had no tennis player, no center. But it was not a lie because I knew I would. By the way, he in would your come mind back you had it. Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You had it there. No, no, but literally, he said to me, "Okay, I go to Wimbledon. When I come back from Wimbledon, we sign, mm. and we start in September." So I I knew I had two months. Right. And even though I had nothing, I knew that two months after I would have everything. I so it. It, it was just an anticipation. It was mm. not a lie. Right. And uh, and that's what happened. Two months after, when he came, I had everything. Right. I spent the whole summer finding a place, uh, going to tournaments to find young players, telling them, okay, listen, guy, I'm, I have Bob Brett with right. me, and he's going to coach. He's going to overlook your coaching. Wow. Right. Wow. And I, I had, a, and then I created the group, my first group of players that I scouted, uh, because that's what I did. I went to tournaments and scouted guys, and I had mm. Ponori Mathieu, uh, Marcos Bagdatis, Gilles right. Muller, Ivo Karlovic, Sergei Stakowski, uh, then Marion Chichamarazi. That was my first group. I had only the 20 players, right. and they uh, and then Pauline Parmentier. Almost all of them finished in the top 100. That was incredible. Amazing. The first well, academy was started. where? Which, which was it in Paris or in Nice already, or where was it? The first no, no, one. It, it, it was in the suburbs of Paris, oh, actually suburbs. in a in, in a difficult area where right. we had uh, we, we all had a lot of trouble there. All right, okay, yeah, I understand, I understand. Right, so okay, so six years of Bob Brad Academy. Then how do we get to the next part to, of your of your amazing career? Here? You know, how do you get then to being the coach yourself? Because it's still right now you just you're still managing, right? In a sense, you're managing the, for someone else. So how do you get actually on the court yourself and end up with the Serenas of the world? How does that turn? How does that happen? You're totally right. During those six years, I'm managing the academy. I'm not coaching, but I was lucky because my I had a great relationship with Bob, mm -hmm. and he was so proud of showing me how he was coaching that every time I mean I was literally in a suit mm -hmm. and he was calling me and said come on the court I want to show you something so I was coming to the court with my, on my suit with my suit right. and he was showing me how he changed that forehand of this guy right. made him work on something that every, every, every day so wow. in a way I had a master class from Bob Rett every single day yes. of course he was not there full time huh? yeah. I had to deal with him where he was coming only 50 days a year right. five five zero fifty Uh, where he was like eight hours, nine hours on the court, sharing everything with me, and but the rest of the time uh, uh, I was uh, I was running the academy. Right. My job was really the business side and the PR of Bob in a way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so I was I was running it. Uh, Bob was a perfect ambassador for the for the academy, and he was uh, when he was here, he was he was like really uh, inspiring for everyone. So that was six years unbelievable. The mm. problem is, after six years, he decided to leave. Right. And okay. to do his own tennis academy. Right. And then I realized that I just did the worst investment of my life. Mm. But that's how you learn by mis making mistakes. Why yes. worse? Because I made Bob a great name. I mean, he was a big name. Huh? He yeah. was a great name. Yeah. But I made it a great name also for tennis academies. Right. Because this this academy, I, I you know, we had such great results with world champ. I had two world champions, you know, and it was the players that I scouted. And I was I was not coaching, but I was on the court. I was uh, sorry, I was not on the court. I was um, I was uh, the boss of all the coaches, and I was giving direction and stuff like that. Of course, with Bob, but mm. so uh, you know. And then suddenly my brand that I invested in for six years disappears from one day to another. And I have to start over from scratch. Right. That was a shock. That was a, and I was really disappointed at the time. I was, I was really 
prepared to give up, which mm. I shouldn't say because I look like a loser saying that. But, no, but no, that I know the feeling, yeah. Ah, terrible. And what gave me the strength to continue was that, I mean, none of the players decided to follow Brett, uh, Bob Brett, but right. all of them came to me and said, I mean, we know you, we trust you, we stay with you. Right, right. And this gave me so much energy and so much, uh, uh, yeah, yeah energy, yeah, confidence to continue. So mm -hmm. that that was that was a turning point. So then I thought, okay, what do I do? Because I have to, I can't keep the Bob Brett brand. So I decided to put my name because I wouldn't start the same mistake again, taking another the name of another right. famous coach. Because I I knew from that moment that this could happen. Mm. Um, and I put my name, but then I was not a tennis coach and I thought, wow, if I put my name, I have to be a tennis coach. Right. So I remember having all my team around me and telling the guys, okay, I, I, with what happened, I'm going to name the Academy Muratoglu Academy, but, uh, I'm not a coach and I think it doesn't look good. So I have to become a coach and I have to become a great coach, uh, because now the future of the Academy and, and the future of being a coach that we're completely linked mm. uh, and I remember my team's telling me yeah but you don't know anything about coaching what are you talking about you never <laughs> tennis lesson in your life and I was like 34 years old yeah yeah and I answered listen I don't know anything you write but I learn fast right. and that's what I said I remember so I started with a 10 years old guy uh, the day after right. as a coach wow. plus running the academy of course also and it took me 10 years to win my first Grand Slam as a coach. That's not bad. <laughs> Many other people have never won a Grand Slam. And doing it in 10 years, it sounds, as long as it sounds like, of course, uh, it's incredible. So, so let, let's just, you know, you know, unpack this, that 10 years a bit. You know, let, let's just for spend a couple of minutes there, um, you know, going from having the first, uh, you know, kid there, it was 10 years old on there where you're coaching now to winning your first Grand Slam. Just, just you know, let's spend the 10 minutes there to, to really get this before we go into some of the other stuff here. Yeah, so <clears throat> I started with this uh, young guy that actually uh, I'm still in touch with. <laughs> nice. A few years after, it was I, I was 34, I'm 51, so it was uh, 17 years ago. Yes. Uh, he's like my son, this this uh, this guy. So right. proud of him. His name is uh, Sebastian Lavi. He's uh, from New Zealand and he's, he lives in New Zealand. And he he started an academy, by the way, that is doing amazing in New Zealand. So I'm so proud of him. Right. <laughs> um, so so I started with him, and then uh, Marcos Bagdatis that I knew very well because I I scouted him when he was 13 and a half and brought him to my academy. Right. Uh, got older, became world champion in juniors and uh, asked me if I could coach him. Right. So I did. And uh, Okay, so that got you this, on the next level there. Yeah, totally, because Marcus reached a, a Grand Slam final right. uh, two years after, which was, but he was an incredible player. I remember, I have, like, I remember, I mean, I get lessons from everyone. And I think that's that's also an important idea because there are so many lessons you can get if you are if you open your eyes, if you open your ears, and if you accept the idea that you did didn't do well, which yeah. is something that is difficult for people. Uh, but if you're able to look at yourself and and tell yourself, okay, oh, I did I did terrible or I I, I failed there, yes. and if it doesn't hurt you, 
then you learn so much. Absolutely. And I remember Marcos uh, when he was uh, maybe 2019, he played um, he played $125,000. So it's a challenger, but it's a mm -hmm. big challenger. He was in the qualities. He was 300 in the world. And uh, he qualified and reached the final, which was an incredible achievement for a guy who ranked 300 because right. the, the draw was extremely strong. And in the final, he plays Dominic Erbati. I'm sure you remember this guy. Mm -hmm. Dominic was 14 in the world, 1-4. Okay. Um, and Marcos was 300. And uh, the match starts and, I, and Marcos is down 4-1. And I remember thinking at that time, wow, Urbati's forehand is better, backhand better, serve better, he moves better. Marcos has zero chance. Right. And Marcos is down 1-4. And I remember thinking that, and that's terrible. As a coach, you cannot think like that. You right. can't. Right. Especially that... If the player Marcos notices it. <laughs> right. Oh, this is even worse. But they all notice. You, you have to realize that players have a sixth sense. Yeah, yeah. They know you so well. And they're very sensitive, so they get everything. Even if you, when you try not to show them, they get it. Yeah. So, and Marcos ended up winning the match. Right. Okay. And don't ask me how. Oh. I have no idea. Right. Okay. But great players find a way to win uh, where, when others don't, and yeah. that's one of their characteristics. Absolutely. And after the match, I thought this was so bad coaching from me. Mm. Like I didn't believe in my player, and he won. Right. This this is unacceptable. This is like unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. So I realized that first of all, you know, even if you look, don't you don't look as good as the other guy. There is always a chance to win. Uh, and as a player, you have to look for ways to win. And as a coach, you also have to look at ways to help your player win because, and you have to believe in your player a hundred percent in every situation. So that was a good life lesson for me. Yeah, love that, love that. And and I, what I remember of Marcos that he is one of those players who he had, was a, that I would say his skill level and talent level was off the chart, but he never looked like a pro player. <laughs> is, that, is that a good description? That's or? true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was very cool. Yeah, very he relaxed, was just he was super relaxed. Exactly, it was like it was just out there having fun, right? And and that came across in the way he played. I you know I do remember. Now, obviously, yeah, you, please go ahead. Is, he, he never, he never, he never wanted to be a tennis player. Uh, he always dreamt about being a soccer player. Okay. And his parents pushed pushed him to play tennis, and uh, that's in a way why he was so relaxed about tennis. But that was not his passion. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting stories. Now, we we have to, of course, and I know a, a, we got to watch our time a bit, but also, you know, we. You know, going a bit from Marcos, you know, there's many other players you then obviously coached in between there. But, you know, we can't have a conversation and not talk about Serena Williams, at least a little bit here. Never mind that you'll see her in, in the next half an hour. Um, you know, so how do you go from all those folks and all of a sudden Serena Williams goes, hey, you know, Patrick, come uh, come coach me. Uh, what I remember reading was that she also was a bit in a bad spell. I think she hadn't won a Grand Slam for a while. And I think she all, she maybe, at least this is what I read, it sounded like she came and said, look, at least help me win one more. And then I think you guys won 10 more. But is that somewhat true or, or what's the real story here? Yeah, that's true. Um, so 
you're right. Uh, we, we don't have time anyway to go through all the players. I just want to mention uh, Anastasia Pavlutenkova because she just uh, played the final of Rangaros. Yes, correct. And I, I worked with her for two and a half years when she was 16 years old right. as a coach. So I was coaching her on a daily basis. So I have a very, very strong relationship with her. Yeah. She's amazing, and we had the best time because she was also at a very difficult time. And I love when I when players call me when they are struggling because right. there is always a great challenge there. Sure, sure. Uh, and she was struggling big time, and we turned it into an incredible, uh, a positive thing. Hmm. Uh, and she, and I just want to say one thing about her because she was only 16 and she was amazing. Because I remember how how much in a, a difficult situation she was at that time. Mm. Uh, and everybody around was so stressed, like the parents were stressed, everybody was stressed because she was struggling, really, mm. uh, after being great in juniors, because she was world champion in juniors, and then when she started to play pros, right. she was unable to win. Right. And she was like 300 in the world, and she, she, she was struggling to win a challenger mm. when we started. And for one year, we struggled, big time. Mm. And I remember her, and that's what I want to say, her telling me, Patrick, I mean, she was only 16. Patrick, you're doing an unbelievable job. If I'm not winning, it's just me because wow. I have a problem. Mentally, I'm, I'm, I have a real problem. Hmm. So like she was 100% blaming herself wow. yeah, to, keep, to keep me motivated because that was, <laughs> pink. That was un un incredible. I mean, wow. I've never seen something like that. Yes. And and one year after, she started to play really good. And in one year, she went from 300 to 27 in the world, right. which was a big achievement. So just this is the thing that I will remember all my life about her because I think she's really special uh, being able to take the blame like that, uh, which was not true because it was also my job to make her win. Yeah. And I was unable to at that time. Uh, and it ended up really great. So that's the only yeah. thing. So now about Serena, huh? do you want me to talk about yeah, her? Absolutely. I think why not? <laughs> a little. <laughs> so let's do it. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it it was a she was going through a tough moment. You know, even the greatest champions have uh, some tough moments in their yeah, careers. Uh, she uh, she uh, had a blood clot. She first had an injury, then a blood clot, and then when she she was trying to come back. She struggled for two years. Uh, she didn't win a Grand Slam for two years, mm. and uh, she just lost in the first round of Rangaros, and it was the first time in his in her career, sorry, right. that she was uh, she was losing in the first round of a Grand Slam. So she got really hurt at that time, mm. and uh, and decided to stay in to prepare for Wimbledon, and called me because she knew I had a tennis academy mm. in Paris, and right. called me, and went went to my tennis academy. Uh, at that time, I was coaching Grigor Dimitrov, mm -hmm. who was friend with her, and actually he brought her to. Uh, he told her, "Oh, I'm I'm there with this guy. Uh, you can, if you look for a place, you can come to his place." Right. Uh, but but Grigor was not. I don't remember when he where he was at the time, but he was he wasn't around. So I was. Uh, so when Serena arrived at the academy, I. I, I came to the court, Not I was not on the court, I was next to the court, but I was making sure that everything was fine for her. She asked me for two hitting partners. So she was doing two on ones and played for 45 minutes in a row. Right. And when she stopped her 45 minutes practice and sat down to drink, she suddenly turned to me. I was just out of the court, but I was close to, the, to, to, to her. Mm. She turned to me, she looked at me and she said, talk to me. <laughs> okay. Like, like out of the blue like that. Uh, 
So I, I, I immediately told to myself, well, that's another of the big meetings you're going to have in your life. So yeah. you'd better be good and convincing. Once again, you know, you come back, it comes back to the same thing again. Yes, yes. I have a few minutes and I have to be convincing. Right. So I, I just told her, I guess she wanted to know about her tennis because she just played for 45 minutes in front of my eyes. Right. So I said, listen, Serena, I, I watch your matches and especially the one you lost in Rangaros. Now I watch your practice and I see the exact same mistakes that you're doing in your matches, in your practice. Wow. Uh, so, and I explained to her the mistakes that I was seeing. So I said, you have to fix that. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful in the next days and weeks because this is wrong. Right. And then she told me, okay, do you want to work on it? I said, sure. So I went on the court and I started to work with her on the things that I wanted to fix. Right. And we did fix them in... Uh, so that was the first practice. And then she said, okay, uh, I want to continue to do that tomorrow. I said, okay. So the, we ended up working for three days in a row, making big progresses. Amazing. And she said to me, I really like it. I really, really, uh, I really love the work we're doing. So I was supposed to leave after three days, but can I stay for uh, more days and continue the work? So she ended up staying for, I think, seven days. And then I had to leave because I was uh, joining uh, Grigor Dimitrov at, at his uh, tournament that he was playing. Right. And she went back to the US. And then when she arrived in Wimbledon a few, uh, one week after, and I, I did, I mean, I arrived first. And then right. when she arrived, she called me and she said, okay, I'm in Wimbledon, I need to see you. So I said, if you want, let's meet tomorrow. She said, no, no, we don't meet tomorrow, we meet today. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we met in a cafe and then she said to me, First, she said, okay, what do you think about my game? And what do you see I should do? So again, a, a very important meeting where I, I told her that this famous uh, quote that she was an underachiever to me, which I believe, I believed at that time. So I said, I mean, regarding, I mean, considering your standards, you, you're losing too many matches and, uh, you know, I th we, losing these matches, first of all, you shouldn't. And second of all, it takes confidence mm. away from you. And uh, if you turn those matches into victories, at the end of the year, it's going to be a completely different Serena. So I think, I mean, a few rules we should respect. You should respect. It's like, I don't go to tournaments if I'm not 100% ready to win it. That's number one rule. I explained to her how to prepare, uh, what she should do to my point of view, etc., etc. And she said, oh, that's great. I love it. Right. Uh, she she could feel that I was believing in her like a million percent. You, you tell me, yeah, but it's easy to believe in Serena. Probably, <laughs> probably, <laughs> but still she liked my energy and the, yeah. the probably also. And, and she could feel how much I believed in her probably. Yeah. Um, so she told me, okay, there is Wimbledon c coming up now. Uh, I really would like you to, 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 I mean, do this tournament with me and, and see how it feels. Yeah, yeah. So I told her, listen, I'm working with Grigor Dimitrov, so I feel that I I can do that unless he tells me that I can. Mm. So I'm going to go back to him and ask him. If he says yes, I'll do it. If he says no, I won't be able to do it. And Grigor said yes. He said, yeah, of course. If you promise me that it doesn't change anything for me, then you're good to go. Right. Let's do let's do both players. Amazing. And that's how it started. And then Serena won the... One she, Wimbledon in singles She won Wimbledon that year already, is it? Singles, doubles, wow. both. She won okay. both. <laughs> then three weeks after was the Olympics. She won gold medal in singles and doubles. Wow. 
Then one month after was the U.S. Open, and then she won the U.S. Open, and at the end of the year she won the WTA Championship, so the the Masters. This is 2012, then, right? I guess we're talking about 2012, here. absolutely. And then two months after, she became number one in the world again, which she did, was not for many, many years. Mm. And she stayed at number one, the number one spot for three and a half years in a row, wow. uh, winning uh, ten Grand Slams. Awesome. And and literally when she was when we started she was thirty years old, huh? hmm. and not winning a Grand Slam for two years, and she thought it was like getting close to the end for her, and right. she wanted to potentially stop on a victory. So that, that that's the reason why she she asked me to help her uh, regain uh, the the I mean win a Grand Slam again, but. Uh, that's then she a, started to play well. Ten Grand Slams later. <laughs> and if we had more time, we, I would love to dig more around there, but uh, we don't. Um, so we, we'll probably leave the, the we'll leave the Serena Williams part for another day there because I'm sure there is a whole lot more to unpack over those ten Grand Slams which then followed. But uh, I love this start already. Incredible. Uh, but Patrick, I'd love to take you a little bit now into two last pieces here. You know, so. First of all, obviously, from your sort of small academy there in Paris, where it all started, now you've obviously run several academies, right? And I guess the big one is where you are now in in, uh, in the south of France, in Nice, beautiful place. Um, let's talk a little bit quickly there, and then let's hopefully we'll have another few minutes to wrap up and, and talk about UTS, uh, which is uh, it's really so exciting what you're doing there. Okay, so I guess I started with the academy. Um so the academy, at the same time as I was coaching, I was running my academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the academy grew bigger, bigger, because more and more players wanted to join us. Uh, I think the success of the players, uh, of course, was uh, the main reason why uh, a lot of players wanted to come. Right. We had, so we had, I mean, throughout the years, an incredible amount of, of great results. Uh, uh, Mario Ancic reached the top 10, uh, Marcos Magdalis, finalist of a Grand Slam, Bonori Mathieu, uh, you know, Isham Arezzi, who played the quarter, the, sorry, the final of uh, Monte Carlo mm. and quarters in Rangaros. And there was this energy and, and it was growing and growing. And of course, uh, after we Serena, it went to uh, another level. Uh, you know, my passion is tennis, and again, uh, what I love is to to help young people achieve their dreams, and that's that's why I always say that I have the best job on the planet. Yeah. There is nothing nicer and and more beautiful than that. And I wanted my academy to be the place for the for the people who love tennis, whoever they are, whatever age, whatever level. And you obviously so, have some. It's not just in France, right? You have one in Greece and Dubai, right? So you've already now branched around the world, right? Is that correct? Yeah, the two others are called uh, tennis centers. It's not tennis academies, oh, and it's okay. quite different because the the goal there is more to uh, to provide great tennis experience for the clients of the hotels because we we are based in uh, in some of the b- best resorts on the I planet. See. Okay, the Jumeirah Hotel, which is yes. probably the best the best uh, resort in uh, in Dubai, mm-hmm. and the Costa Varino, who is probably the best resort in Europe, unbelievable resort. Right. So that and and we have tennis centers there where we. We, we provide a great tennis experience to the clients who come on holidays. I so that's see. what we're doing. It's not exactly it's the same. Different thing. Sure. Got it. So my tennis academy, what I love there is that we, again, we help young young uh, people uh, achieve their goals in tennis, but also um, have a great education. And I want to spend a few seconds or minutes on that because Please. that's something that is special. We have, we are also running the school program for now 15 okay. years. Okay. 
And I'm as proud of that as I'm proud of the tennis because we have uh, such great teachers. We have such great results because 100% of the players are succeeding mm. in, the, in the education. Right. Uh, we send all of them to uh, the best universities, uh, whether it's in the US or in France or in the UK right. with scholarships. Um, and, and I'm proud of it because, you know, as I said, I was struggling at school and I dreamt about making a school that I would have loved mm. when I was a kid. Yeah. And what I did, yes, exactly. But I built it uh, more with a spirit than anything else. What I love in our school is that we are close to the to the students. We are close to them. We are not like giving lessons. We are close to them. We are exchanging with them. Um, we always make sure that everything we're talking about, the concepts, are put in re the real world so people as the students understand how they're going to use those concepts in their daily life mm. or in their job so it's it's much more uh it's in it's it's it feels real it doesn't feel like like concepts that are not useful which i felt when i was at school right, right. and and i think i think it's amazing so yeah. i'm proud of that and and, and i Incredible. always uh, do the, the I advertise for the school tennis and school program or sports and school program because I think it's the best possible education. Right. Not only the spirit but also the body. And I think what is great also is doing sports at a good level at the same time as school mm. is that the concepts of values is not only concepts. You experience and you you embodied those values because you have to because of the sports. Yes. You experience pressure every day when you yes. do sports. Uh, you and and then you have to uh, embody uh, you know resilience, uh, hard work, fights uh, on a daily basis because you have no other option. And so you and uh, when you're 18 years old, you have so much more life experience and and. Uh, and those values are not theory; they're really practical. You've you've lived them, so I think you are so much uh, more ready for life than if you didn't do that uh, double uh, school and sports program uh, during your childhood. So I, I love it, and that's what we're doing. And we we have at the academy two hundred students that uh, are living in the academy, coming from forty different nationalities, which is also unbelievably rich. Because you live in, in an environment as a kid with uh, Indians, uh, Africans, Europeans, Australians, yeah. you know, yeah, so you have so many experience. cultures. Hmm. Fantastic. I love it. So that's what yeah. we're doing. So we have those players and then we do also summer camps for anyone, every, every age, every level. Right. And we have more than 4,000 people every year who come for us for our camps wow. all year long. I'm coming too. So it, <laughs> I, I love it. It sounds amazing. <laughs> for sure. And, and we do this also for families yeah. because we have a hotel on site right. also. It's, it's huge. Now the academy in south of France, we have uh, uh, 34 courts. We have two fitness, four swimming pools. Uh, we have a, a school, a medical center, a hotel, 155 rooms, four stars. We have seminar rooms, spa. Oh. Uh, we have also a building with apartments. Uh, so it's it's Incredible. like literally a tennis city. Yeah, it's a tennis city. And, uh, Amazing. So anyone who loves tennis, every any age, every level, there is something for you guys. So yeah. that's what we're doing. And and as a passionate about tennis, I cannot be happier.
Absolutely. Well, I, I promise you, once I'm in, next time I'm in your neighborhood, I'll drop by and have a look. That sounds amazing there. Um, but since we maybe got another sort of, you know, few minutes left here before I, I let you get back to the court, so to speak, in a true sense, let's talk UTS. Um, you know, you started this tournament or let's call it competition last year, obviously during COVID when, it, you know, the world shut down, uh, players couldn't play, there was, they weren't earning a living. Um, and you came up with not just a tournament to get players back on the court, but you also really changed the rules and, and, and you had a completely different vision there for what you were doing. Um, I'm assuming, and I'm not sure whether that's correct, did, did, the, did you host the tournament in your academy or where were you playing at the time? Yes, we did. We you did. did. Uh, okay, yeah, that's what yeah. I recall uh, seeing it. Right, it came from me. So now, so as I say, if you have five minutes here, let's can we do a quick one on what's your big vision here, and and really what you see is you're changing, which could be potentially, you know, elevated into many other areas of the sport. Yes, of course. Thank you, Marcus, for allowing me to talk about that because it's a it's a subject that is very dear to me. Mm. Uh, you know how much I love tennis, and I think, uh, I, you know, I have a lot of flaws, but nobody can say that uh, I don't love tennis. I think it would be really unfair. Uh, and <laughs> I can tell, yes. <laughs> and when I realized that uh, our sport was potentially in danger, uh, I took the decision to uh, to do something for it. Uh, I'm going to explain that because tennis looks like it's doing great, but uh, apparently it does, but it doesn't. Mm. Why? Simply because, you know, all the sports are in a difficult situation at the moment for two reasons. I mean, for one main reason, actually, which is the revolution of the digital and its consequences. Correct. If, if you go back to the 80s, where tennis was big, it was one, one of the two biggest sports on the planet with soccer. It was so, so successful. There were only three tennis channels. Mm. No video games, no social medias, no streaming platforms, only three television channels. So it was easy in a way. There was no competition. Today, you, there is everything I've just named. So social medias, video games, esports, uh, streaming platforms. So when you have one hour in front of you, I mean, you, can, you can decide to watch tennis, but there are a million of other possibilities, not to name all the other sports. Absolutely. So the competition is extremely strong. That's one thing. Yes. Second thing, the digital revolution has changed the way people consume. Yes. And I would say that people who are under 40 years old consume contents that have four different characteristics. Those co first characteristics, those, co those contents are short. And if you look at the series, they're competing really hard with, uh, with movies who are in trouble because movies are too long, series are short. You know, social media is short. Every, I mean, a video game, if you want to, you make it short also. So all those contents are short. Yes. They're super dynamic. Why dynamic? Because of, of the offer that is so huge. If you have a slow content, people get bored very fast and they switch to something else. So it has to be short, dynamic, authentic, and immersive. Right. Tennis is very long. It's very slow. Yes. When I say slow, the, per the percentage of time when the ball is in play is less than 20% of the time, which means that 80% of the times you see people doing their routines, players doing their routines. So it's very slow. It's not immersive and it's non-authentic. I know people who love tennis will jump out of their chair when I say that, but <laughs> I can explain that in the 80s, it was very authentic. Right. Today, it's not authentic. The cut of conduct is so hard hmm. uh, that uh, players don't dare being themselves. 
Right. And what happened on the court translate to out of the court where they're all competing to pretend that they're the nicest guy, the most polite, the more sportsmanship on the planet. Um, and in a way, you don't see personalities anymore uh, except one or two. You don't have the, the Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe's anymore. <laughs> exactly. There is one that is named Kyrgios, which is the only one who Correct. accepts to pay millions of dollars of fines every year. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, one out of a hundred probably. So... You don't have this authenticity on the court. So mm-hmm. so we don't pick any of the boxes that makes a sports league successful. Consequence, very easy. The fan base of tennis remains the same as the one which fell in love in tennis in the 80s. And those people age. They're 16, 61 years old average now. Yeah. Um, so which means that they will disappear and tennis doesn't renew its fan base. So tennis is in danger in the future. Right. So considering that, I thought, okay, like, I don't want to change tennis, first, because I love tennis. Second, because there are still a billion fans over the world that love tennis the way it is. And those fans are aging, but they're still here. And we still have to provide the same quality content. So, mm-hmm. but why don't I create a second league, which would be completely different with the goal to bring new fans on board and younger fans on board. Right. Okay. And that's UTS. Right. Makes and the sense. idea about UTS is, is this idea. If I had to create tennis today, knowing what I know about how people consume, Mm -hmm. how would I do it? Right. And we have created a league that is short, dynamic, immersive, and authentic. Right. Yeah, the players wear some microphones, right? Even in between, I see, right? When they're sitting on the exchange or whatever, right? They got some, you know, they're mic'd up and they, you know, they can talk or give comments, right? I've seen some of this. Yeah, we, we totally revisited the, the whole experience yeah, of yeah, tennis. It. It's, uh, it, it's the, the time decides when the, the match is over. So it's four quarters of eight minutes right. a match. Okay. Uh, when when the players are reaching, when the, if they are two quarters each, then we play uh, sudden death, which is unbelievable, stre- unbelievably stressful. Right. Uh, we count the points very simply. So like I win a point, I have one point, because I think this... This counting of points in tennis is complicated for non-fans, right. and we want to bring new fans on board. Uh, so it's it's very dynamic because we shorten the time between the the points, and also the coaches are allowed to coach between every point, and everybody's mic'd up. So right, right, we right. we hear what they say, which is also immersive, right. very cool, and authentic. Uh, at every changeover, as you said, the players are interviewed, so we ask them about what the the, the quarter before. Uh, what was the strategies? So we get in, into understanding the strategies of the players, mm. and also we learn about what they're going to do in the future, uh, in the next quarter. Um, so we have they have cards. Cards they have advantage. For example, we, they can have an extra card that that gives them the opportunity to win three points if they win the next yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. You call power so, card or something, right? Power. Yeah, card. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So this is you can too. even we I think you can get, take away what the the second serve of a player or something like that right of your opponent with a card or I remember so it's, you are right this was the the first season of UTS but second season we changed it because we decided that all the players will have only one serve because right. we don't want to see too many aces and 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 uh, unreturned serve because I know people love to see uh, rallies okay so it's only one serve but the extra card the card can give you an extra extra serves all right the other way around got it so, yeah exactly <laughs> I love it so we we completely re- revisited it and you know everything that I mean Everyone told me it's impossible. Everyone told me players will never accept to do an interview at a changeover. Right. Players will never accept to have only one serve, etc. They accepted everything and they love it. Right. You know, 
So just to say that we started last year in the, in the middle of the pandemic mm. and the first edition of UTS, we already were broadcasted in more than 100 countries around the world. Amazing. Uh, 20 million people watched it mm. over the world. Uh, we had seven out of the 10 of the, the, the 10 top 10s who, who played in UTS, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So a great lineup of players. They yes. all loved it. They all asked to play again. I had to unfortunately refuse some great ones because you know, we have only 10 players at every show, showdown. So okay. yeah. I think so the proof the of concept yeah. has been made. I mean, after one year, we have already 700,000 followers on, on Facebook. And I mean, when I see how fast this grows, we, we will reach probably uh, two to three million at the end of this year, uh, which is incredible. We, we have a growth that is extremely fast. We created our own OTT platform where we have more than 100,000 people who are uh, registered connected yeah wow. subscribers to our wow. platform and just I, I just want to tell you about the plan for next year please so the plan for next year so we're into a capital raise at the moment we're raising 50 million euros to go to the next level next year with the goal to do like formula one so i want to have wow. only 10 events per year i don't want to have like three events every week which i think is much too much so 10 events is perfect because i want every event to be special mm. Now we're gonna we're gonna tell cities, okay, if you want to be part of UTS, because we're gonna go to cities, we can do something really special for you, and we can highlight the most important place of your city, the place you want to show to the world. Mm. Uh, so we can play on the top of a building, we can play in front of a monument, we can play on the sea. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. Uh, but we want to highlight. The, the place that is like the most representative of each city that they want to, and then we got to play in front of that and show that to the entire world during the event. Because yes. when you play in front of the event uh, with a view on the event, it's unbelievable. But it's like yeah, very so much right. like video game style. Yeah. So that's what we want to do. Right, right. Uh, I want to play with the only 10 same players all year long because I want them to, I want to choose them. I want to choose the the most exciting ones, the the ones who have the greatest games, but also the greatest personalities that are so exciting to watch. And I want to, like Formula One, have a race all year long between those 10 guys who are going to play against each other 10 times to know at the end of the year who's going to be the world champion at UTS, which is a different effort from ATP. And why not at the end of the year have the champion, UTS champion, play against the ATP champion uh, with the uh, with, uh, UTS rules. That would be really uh, incredible. Nice. So that's the plan for next year. And I think we can completely re- revolutionize tennis, keeping the, the classical tennis for the classical fans who are very uh, conservative. And that's great. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say that I, I really love tennis the way it is. But also, I think it's also exciting to have a league that is able to bring new fans on board, which we are able to do because 50% of the, the fans of UTS are not tennis fans, and the average age is 40 compared to 61 for tennis. So we're very exciting to, to continue this journey.
Patrick, amazing. I love it. And we just about squeezed all of that in here in, in our hour. Um, and I want to talk to some with you some more about it. Uh, I think there are some ideas I have for you. Um, we've created similar concept like this in other sports, but with the same idea of taking things to a beautiful location and, and really showcasing and bringing these parts, the pieces together. Um, so I have a couple of thoughts there for you, but I know you have someone there waiting for you, which is very important on uh, getting ready for Wimbledon. So Patrick, thank you so much for your time. I love it was amazing conversation here and I'm pretty certain we'll talk some more soon and please send my regards to Ms. Serena Williams Thank you very much again for the invitation Marcus, I had a great time uh, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to express myself, which I didn't do enough in my early years so I have time to, yeah. <laughs> I have to catch up with that. <laughs> Absolutely, you did a great job there and, and I love the story, so thank you so much and have a great day there at training Thank you, Marcus. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.